All right, good morning, everyone. It is, you know, just thankful for, for Rick and the elders, just people who uh, just really are faithful to God and our, our ministers. And so just grateful for them. Um, yeah, it has been uh, a pretty, you know, just a, a unique weekend with what's gone on with Matt. And um, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, just, you know, as we talk about, we're going to talk about joy today, you know, and what does that look like? What, what, do we, what does that look like in times like this? Although as we even, I was thinking of those words of that song, the joy of the Lord is my strength, as we're singing those words, and then it talks about in those darkest times, that's when the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so uh, I want to talk about that, but to, to lead into that, I actually wanted to tell you just a, a brief story of how I met my wife, because the joy of the Lord is my strength really has been, uh, she's been the one that has, I think made that impact on me the most when we think about all these things. Now, uh, I was a senior in college going to Biola University, and I was a commuter student at the time. And so I'm driving up to Biola all the way down from down at Dana Point, and I'm commuting all up to Biola, 45 minutes with no traffic, and we know that doesn't exist. So uh, whatever it would be for the day. And so I remember it was a Monday, and I was uh, looking for a place just to study. It was a couple hours before class when I was there. And so I go into the library, which is now the old library. It's not the library anymore since, I was, since this all took place in 1996. But uh, it was, I went into the library looking for a table to sit at to get ready for a test, and I see a group of people where some I knew and some I didn't at this table. And so I go and I sit down, and when I sit down at this table— I see right across from me is this girl that I don't know. And so I introduce myself, and she says, hi, my name's B. And I actually didn't understand what she said. I said, wait, what'd you say? She said, hi, my name's B. And I kind of still didn't understand until I asked her friend later. But uh, it was one of those days where I'm kind of half, you know, you're you're half studying and half talking and, and enjoying the people around you and uh, it was one of those days where I was just on. You know, my jokes were landing. I was engaging. Uh, I was feeling good about myself. And, and it seemed like she was enjoying me as well. And I remember then uh, this one time where she gets up, and I still can picture the exact way that she got up and walked this way and then turned that way and then went into a rack of journals to get something off the shelf. And the whole time that she walked in that way, our eyes never stopped being locked in on each other. And it wasn't awkward or weird at, at the time. Uh, sounds a little weird now. But, you know, we're, we're locked in and just staring at each other. And it was just, whoa, what just happened there? Something happened. And then the day goes on and I leave. And then the next Monday I drive up to Biola again. And I think to myself, I wonder if that girl B goes into the library every Monday around this time. And so I went in the library, and I look in. It's kind of just this main entry room. And I walk in. I'm starting to walk around, look around. And I see, there she is. She's across the, on the other side of this big room. And so I casually sort of make my way over and start chatting with her. And we're talking, and then we ended up spending like a little bit more time. We went outside to the Eagle's Nest snack bar place and got something to eat and just hung out for a little bit. And it turned out then that that led uh, to, to a date and all of that. And then we got married, obviously. But it turns out that she was in the library that day to see if I went to the library on Mondays at that time. So yes, uh, it, that worked out. Uh, but, um, 
but my wife is this incredible woman. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary this summer. And she's this woman that has just taught me so much, I think, as well. She's taught me so much about God and about what it looks like to be a minister. She's just this amazing, I call her a youth pastor as a high school teacher, really, you know. And um, of, of just this incredible ministry that she has. But there's this verse that for her, that we've been talking about a lot, that for her was her life verse and something she's passionate about. It's up in her house and it's displayed in different ways. And just that this verse has become so meaningful and really has become a, a central part of kind of my heart for Calvary. And it's, I just think it's amazing that it's been, you know, my wife has showed that to me in a new way. Because before, there was only the beginning of the verse that was my life verse, and I'll tell you why. But what's happening here again, right, is the people of Israel have been in exile. They come back into the land. This has all happened in the book of Nehemiah. They come back into the land, and they're rebuilding the walls. They're rebuilding the city, and they discover a, a scroll of the Torah. They gather all the people together, and they read aloud the word of God. And as they read aloud the word of God, the people begin to weep. And as the people are crying and weeping, just as the word of God is impacting them, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the priests get up and say this. They say, go, and here is my life verse, eat of the fat, which just, and hard stop, right? Okay, go eat of the fat. I was like, deal, I'm in, obeying the word of God. So go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. So it says, you've heard the word of God. It's impacted you. Celebrate. Celebrate that the word of God is impacting your life. Celebrate that and share it. Share it with others. Share with those who don't have, I think both physically and spiritually, share with those who don't have it. And he says, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. Why? For the joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. This amazing passage for me that says the joy that we have from God is what strengthens us. Our joy in him will give us strength for anything that we would be about, for any moment that we have in our lives. And so I want to share with us and I want us to see how I believe that joy and that passion can really be lived out and can make an impact on others. I think our joy and our passion can be evangelistic. And so it's not just the... It's not just even God giving us strength, but it's this joy that we have in God that gives us strength. There's a quote from a a guy named Martin Lloyd-Jones, great theologian. He has a book called Joy Unspeakable. And it says this, That's how Christianity conquered the ancient world. It was the amazing joy of these people. Even when you threw them into prison or even to death, it did not matter. They went on rejoicing, rejoicing, in tribulation. Rejoicing in tribulation. As they're being tortured, as they're being ostracized from the people that they know and love, as they're going through even up to the point of death for the gospel, they rejoice in tribulation. And I'll tell you, like, uh, man, just a lot of emotional moments going on lately for me, but um, when, when we were there in that, that hospital room, 
for this 29-year-old young man, Matt Angier, who I remember in my, when I was a junior high pastor my first year here at Calvary, he was in my junior high group. And he's this amazing, like when you think of the joy of the Lord, that's, that's Matty Angier. He's got it now all the way. But we were, we were gathered a bunch, you know, there's, I feel like there's 40 people just in this hospital room after some hard decisions had been made and praying and just started, hey, let's, let's pray, let's pray. And Matt's grandma, she says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I just lost it, right? That, that she would have that, that heart, that heart in that moment. She even said, like, I, I didn't know if I should say it. You know, I didn't know if I should say it because it, it feels out of place or something. But it was, it was real. And it's true. And to me, it was, man, I, I've had this prepared to talk about this. And then that happens on Friday evening. And it was just, I mean, this ultimate display of the joy of God that goes beyond anything of what we're going through on this earth. That the joy in God is what, you know, it makes us be able to even stand in some of these moments. And it was just so on display in the midst of someone as precious as his grandmother. And so uh, it's, you know, I think this is a really powerful thing, right? The joy of the Lord being, strengthening us for those times is powerful. And I want to see that be powerful for us. And so we receive this strength from the Lord, and then we go out in that strength, and we live out then a life of passion for Jesus Christ. We live a life of passion that serves him with, with all the gifts that he's given us and the calling that he's given us. And we go now and we live that with this passion that comes from that joy. And that's my hope for us at Calvary Church. And so we think about passion. We think about, okay, what are these things that we're personally passionate about? You might have things in your life, kind of, I'm talking outside of God. What, you know, what are the things that you're passionate about? For me, it's my family, my friends, the greatest band in the world, U2, which if you read my email this week that, that got sent out to everybody, you heard sort of the larger story of why. But yeah, I just like, I'm crazy, ridiculous, passionate about this band where I've gone and seen them maybe 25 times. If you ask, uh, you could ask Matt Davis at two in the morning in Israel when I was on my computer to try and get tickets because that's when they went on sale. Uh, you could ask the, the, <laughs> the ladies in the office across from me when I've had to take a vacation hour uh, because because the tickets were going on sale then and I couldn't deal with work. I, had, I was freaking out and they could hear my, my screams of agony or joy. But, you know, that kind of a thing. When we're passionate about something, we're all in, right? We go for it all the way when we're passionate about it. Just adventure sports. I had like when my, uh, this friend of mine, Matt Winger, when we were younger, we would go snow skiing, snowboarding all the time. And we had this whole thing where it was, if you don't fall, you're not trying hard enough. A day without falling is not success. That's actually failure. Because if you don't fall, you're not trying hard enough. That was our thing. Go for it. All in. All the way. Uh, you know, and then just whatever else. Travel books. Fantasy football. Want to uh, check my phone in about 20 minutes. We'll see how the team's doing. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, just these are things that we're personally passionate about. But you, you'd have your own. But of course, our passion is for Christ. 
Our passion is for Jesus. That all those things pale in comparison to our passion for our Lord and Savior. And then we live out that passion in our, our ministry, in the way that we serve him, in the way that we worship him. And so we think about what does that look like? You know, what does that require of me to be a person that is passionate for Jesus? A person that, that is passionate in our worship in song and in deed. So that's where I want, I see us as a church that passionately worships God in our singing in this room when we come into a place like this. That we would sing out this, this love for God that's, that's so rich and deep and being expressed in such a big way that people would come and visit Calvary Church and they'd look upon us as we worship and they would see something happening that they've never seen before. That they would see a love for God that is just oozing out of us in some way that is, is so beautiful and life-changing and different. And that they would want to be part of that. But we worship God through not just our songs, but through the way that we live our lives, through our, our actions, through uh, the, the things that we do, our deeds. And we worship God in that. And so I see a church that lovingly engages our neighbors with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then I see a church that warmly welcomes all to be a core part of our community. And these are ways that I think we and myself all in included, need to be growing. Like we can be growing in these areas of our passion. Not just in song, but also in the way that we live this out. You know, like when it comes to worship, for me, whatever it is with worship singing has been a way for me to connect with God throughout my life. Since I was a, I remember since I was a freshman in high school. Uh, that was the moment where I was able to go from this is, I, I feel awkward and everyone's looking at me to the point of I don't care if people are, are looking at me. And to the point of where it's good that I usually sit in the front row because if you were sitting in front of me, I might be annoying because of how loud and maybe off-key I'm singing, right? And so I, I, will, I actually like being able to be in the front row because there's nobody in front of me and I can just sing as loud as I want and it, it, I don't have to worry about how it sounds because I just want to like give God my all in that. And, and I hope that we can just continue to be growing in our passion, because I believe that we need to. I think we need to. And I, I'm in this, too. We need to be a church that grows in our passion and in our expression of that passion. Let me read a verse uh, for us from Luke 18. This won't be on the screens. You can turn there if you'd like. Luke 18, 9 to 17. And this story is just, it radically speaks to me of reminding me of my heart especially as a pastor, because this story, it says, Jesus told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. And this story will have a Pharisee and a tax collector, and the closest we have to Pharisees these days are pastors, so I start to get nervous when these stories come along, right? And uh, Pharisees, though, were the most respected of the time. Tax collectors were the least respected of the time. So let's, let's read through what Jesus says. Verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself. 
God, I thank you. For some reason, this, this gets me in an English accent. For some reason, I don't know why. But uh, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I pay tithes of all that I get. So this prayer about himself, right? It even says to himself. Um, but the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. And to me, this is a beautiful picture of authentic passion for Christ, for God. Of this tax collector recognizing his, his sin and crying out to God. It's not about himself, it's just about God. And so he's giving God his all in this moment. And the passage continues, Jesus tells a little bit more. It says they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, the children, saying, Permit the children to come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. And so that picture for us of passion is to be like a child. To not care what people think. To be that, that sort of raw, unfiltered thing that these kids are. And I love that. That our prayers would, would be like that. That the way that we would approach God would be like that. With that childlike passion. And so that kind of passion requires freedom. That we need to have a sense of freedom in Christ. That the Spirit of God gives us a freedom... And a freedom from sin, of course. A freedom from the chains of sin in our life. But also a freedom from uh, duty and obligation and sort of an outward facade of holiness. That we would have a freedom to be genuine and authentic before our God. And to step into what God has for us. And to live our lives fully all the way for Jesus. Freedom. Beyond our inhibitions. And I think that passion also includes emotion. I think a lot of times that we've tried to be sort of cautious about emotion. Because, yeah, we don't want emotions to guide us or lead us. But however, I think we've pendulum swung away from emotion so much that it's just a, you know, it's this, I don't know, sort of a an emotionless relationship with God. But God has created us with emotion, an emotion to express to him. And, and I think sometimes that emotion is, is big and joyous and celebratory and out loud. And sometimes that's lament and that's grief and that's frustration and even anger that we give that to God like, like the psalmists do, right? That we express that kind of emotion to God. Another passage that I'd love to... Uh, just share with you is Romans 12, 9 to 15. And I think this shows emotion and passion in the most biblical way. Okay? Romans 12, 9 to 15. Just hear these words of passion and emotion. 
It says, let love be without hypocrisy. Okay, first of all, it's genuine, it's real, without hypocrisy. Abhor or hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. That's not low emotions. You know, that's not flatlining. Hate evil. Cling to what's good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. And so this, this is saying, I, I care about you. I care about the other person more about myself as I honor you by the decisions I make. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And here's the final one, kind of the, the, last, the last nail. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's passion and that's emotion. That when we are with people who are rejoicing, we get over our own selfish tendencies and our jealousies and we rejoice with them of what God's doing in their life. And when we are with people that are weeping and grieving, we enter into that fully. We enter into that with with passion and emotion. And I just, again, I say all this because I think this is evangelism. I think this kind of way of living displays Jesus to a world that needs him. Because passion requires love. That we would love fully. And it's so great that uh, Rick even said, uh, just skip ahead to that verse, John 13, 35. And that, that I had planned to, to talk about today as well. That it says, by this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. So in this room, in our church, he's talking to, to each other, not just to the outside world, so to speak, but they'll know that you're my disciples. The outside world will know that you love Jesus and follow Jesus, and they will see Jesus by the way that, that we love one another here, by the, the decisions that we make for each other, by the words that we use and the way that we speak of each other. By the way that we're willing to sacrifice ourselves for the good of another. That kind of love for one another, that's, that's evangelism. Okay, again, we're displaying the gospel of Jesus through that, through our love. So it's passion. Joy and passion are just so integral to what I want to be about as a man of God and, and as a pastor. And I think that the more that we as a church then together can grow in that, I think the more that we can display Jesus. So we've talked about some of these words, you know, and I know this uh, even before the last sermon I gave that was kind of different like this, just this acknowledgement of that these are a little bit different where I am talking some, just wanting us to to be growing through God's word, but also giving you a sense of who I am and, and some of these things I think are important to me and my heart for ministry. And so we talked about rooted We've talked about passion, and now I want to talk about challenge is another one of these words. Challenge. And uh, this, this kind of sums it up, that we need to learn to challenge each other without being a challenging person to be around, if you know what I'm saying, okay? Uh, and <clears throat> I think that that's the thing, is that we want to be people that can challenge one another. I want to be a man as a pastor that can challenge 
but also do that in a way that's, that's not challenging to be around. Um, I remember when I was 13 years old, I lived across the street from a guy named Bob Mignona. Bob Mignona was the publisher of Surfing Magazine. Now, I lived in Capo Beach, right? Went to San Clemente High School. Surfing is everything there, okay? Now, the publisher of Surfing Magazine is the boss of the editor-in-chief. This guy's the grand poobah of Surfing Magazine. And he lived across the street from me. I go surfing at this place called Lower Trussells, which is the place that's the most crowded and the hardest to ever catch a wave. And I would go with Bob, and I would get all the waves I wanted. Because Bob let me paddle along next to him, and everyone parted the Red Sea for Bob because they wanted to get in the magazine. It was awesome. It was my favorite time to go surfing. It was with Bob. But uh, I said I would, uh, I would babysit his kids this one night when he was going to this thing called the Waterman's Ball. And last minute, as a punk little 13-year-old, I uh, canceled on babysitting his kids. And Bob came up to me. Bob's from New York originally. Uh, and Bob came up to me and Bob said, Eric, you need to know that a man, when he gives his word, keeps his word. You need to know that when you say you'll do something, you will do it. That you will live up to your responsibilities. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, Bob. And, uh, but I remember, that was 30 years ago. And I remember that conversation and that challenge that he gave me that didn't feel good in the time, but it was an important challenge for me in my life. And I think that led to me being a much more responsible person in the way that I conduct myself. Uh, I remember even uh, when I was in uh, college, this guy named Rick Soto, it was my, that first year when I was at UC Santa Barbara, this guy named Rick Soto was discipling me, and he's the one that challenged me to go and to, um, to evangelize and share my faith, to set up this little table and ask for surveys and go follow up on them. He's the one that challenged me to do that. And I, and I was like, okay, that sounds super scary to me, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up to the challenge. And it was huge. It was a huge experience in my life of developing me um, just as an evangelist. And then um, I, I remember it was in between the time when I had this sense of calling from God to ministry and when I actually got the phone call about the internship that I ended up doing. In between there, I went and met with the founding and senior pastor of the church that I grew up in. His name was Homer Waisner. And I, I said to Pastor Homer, I, I have this sense of God calling me to ministry, but I don't know what to do. I don't know what, where to start. I don't know what to do with it. And he said to me in that moment, he said, ministry is like a pool. Okay? Ministry is the pool, and you can walk around the pool, and you can just keep walking around and looking at it and being like, oh, I don't know, that part's shallow, or ooh, that part's a little too deep, or should I dip my toe and it's kind of cold, or should I just keep walking around in indecision? You're just going to keep walking around and around. He said, Eric, just stand wherever you're at and jump. Just jump in. And go for it. Start serving God wherever, like whatever opportunity is before you. And then God will help you find your right spot in the pool. I don't know if he said that because a week later he knew I was going to get a phone call about the internship at his church. But, uh, <laughs> but I did. And, and so I got that call and it's like, boom, I'm in, right? Jump in. And that challenge was huge for me. And so I think about 
these kinds of challenges for us and the role that all of us can have in the lives of people to bring a challenge because it's important. It's important that we don't just stay in our comfortable spot, our status quo. And I think that a ministry leader of any kind, of any kind, I'm not talking about pastors, I'm not talking about elders, I'm talking about all of us in the way that we can lead ministry, that we are all part of this royal priesthood of believers, that we have a role to play as ministry leaders. So a ministry leader of any kind must challenge the status quo in people's lives. Like whatever is sort of comfortable, we have to help challenge that, but we have to do it in a spirit of love and grace, right? We have to be able to do that gently and lovingly, but also without fear to talk about hard topics and do hard things. That we need to be able to step into those areas that are the most difficult, that are the most awkward, to say the hard things, to do the hard things, but to do all of that with love, right? To do all of that with grace. And I'll just acknowledge here, I mean, I'll just straight up acknowledge some failure in that in my life. That you know, I've had times where, where I have challenged and been a challenging person. Um, even, you know, in good old online ways. I remember um, some years ago of just being really passionate about <laughs> a super non-controversial topic like vaccines. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I remember just expressing my, my heart. I had a firm conviction, but I did not display that with love and grace. And I hurt people. And so I, I confess that to you, you know? But I've learned from that. I gave a sermon once where I talked about a t-shirt company where I disagreed with some of the premise of the t-shirt company. And I afterwards realized that there were several people in the room wearing the t-shirts. And it was stupid, right? Like, it was just dumb. It was immature. It was immature. The point w- could have been made without, you know, saying it in that kind of way. It was for effect, and it was immature. And I confess that, you know, that, that I haven't always not been the challenging person. And so, I, but I feel like God has been growing me and shaping me to be a man who does this with a spirit of love and grace. And that, like I've said, like I think I'm a, a different person in that because of the way that God has, has shaped me. And so we, we need to be willing to not just give challenge, but, but hear that for us, you know. A lot of times I think we're willing to give challenges, but are we willing to, to hear that about our lives, that we need to grow, that we need to be growing people. And those, those instances in my life where I received some of those hard challenges, and they were some of the most growing periods of my life. I remember uh, even in high school, like my, it was AP U.S. History. And they would do a thing halfway through the year where the teacher would meet with you and tell you what you need to do to actually be able to pass the test when it comes at the end of the year. And the teacher met with me and said, Eric, you're not going to pass the test. Don't bother taking it. And I was like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pass that test. And so that challenge, you know, that got me. And I worked really hard and I passed that test. Because that, that kind of challenge, sometimes it'll get us going, right? It's good for us. And we need that. And so I just say, let's also be willing to be challenged as well as to, to bring a challenge for others. And I do think that we as a church, we collectively, myself included, that 
We need to grow in some ways in our heart for evangelism, in our warm welcome to others, to care about others more than ourselves, to be better neighbors. And I think that this, it's key for us to be in front of this. Like all the time we're talking about it. That's something I want to be about as a pastor is to keep that vision in front of all of us and to be living it out myself. To be living it out myself. And that's the difference between what they say is a, like a cattle driver and a shepherd, right? Cattle driver is kind of beaten from behind and shouting, and, whereas a shepherd is going ahead and saying, follow me. You know, follow me. As I follow Jesus, the good shepherd, follow me. And so I've said this before. As I follow Jesus, follow me. And, you know, there's things that are, you know, when it comes to church that are hard challenges to take. Like like we've said, we've talked about evangelism. I mean, that's okay. You know, that's big to be a better neighbor. Sometimes that's hard and that's big to welcome new people into our group of friends that we've had for 30 years or whatever. Sometimes that's, that's difficult. These things are hard. You know, there's other things that are part of just kind of vision that we have for our church of continuing on a, a teaching team model. That we would continue to have you know, different, different speakers teaching uh, and that we would have that kind of rotation. And I think that that challenges a lot of our sort of normal assumptions of give us a king. Like we want, we want a king. Give me someone to, to follow and hear from every week. But I actually think it's beneficial for the body to hear from different voices. So sometimes these challenges go against our assumptions or the things we're used to. But I think that that, but a lot of times it's what is best for the body of Christ. So that's, that's the message. That we would be people that are challenging and willing to be challenged by others without being challenging people to be around. That we'd be passionate, that we'd have the joy of the Lord in us. And we're, we're going to move into a, a time now of communion. To remember what Jesus has done. And as we move into this time, we consider passion, right? That this is called the passion of the Christ. Christ's suffering was called his passion. His passion week. Christ's suffering for us. That's Christ's passion fully displayed to us. So our passion is self-sacrificial just as Christ's was. But Jesus paid that ultimate sacrifice for us. For the forgiveness of our sin, our our reconciliation before God. And so what we do now in this moment is remember. We remember what Jesus has done. We remember the suffering that he went through. And so I'm going to pray for us in a moment. And the bread is going to be passed out. And so I encourage you just in this time, just reflective music, just to pray, reflect, consider, Remember that Christ gave his body for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you just humbly and we are impacted sometimes to the point of tears even of how huge your sacrifice was, how great the cost How great your suffering, your passion, Lord. I pray that we would have joy in this too. That we have joy in the midst of remembering your suffering and that your joy would strengthen us. But help us now in these moments to remember well. In Jesus' name, amen.